If you're here for the first time, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. You guys actually came in at a really good time because uh, we are officially in week two of our four-week mini-series that we've titled DNA. You know, we just finished an 11-month trek through the book of John, and in a few weeks we're going to be going through the book of Joshua for about three months. Um, that's what we do here. We mainly just kind of go through books of the Bible because we believe it's good and healthy for us to do that because it forces us to deal with hard passages and it helps us to know our Bible uh, and to see all, all aspects of God and his character. But I also know from time to time, it's good and right to take a different approach to teach the Bible just in different ways. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. That's what we're doing in this four-week DNA series. We're using 1 John as our anchor, but we're looking at it more thematically uh, than going verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And the reason we're using 1 John is because it's somewhat of an extension of John with the same author that we just sat under for almost a year. Um, you know, I said, this, I said this last week, if the book of John was written for the unbeliever uh, and more of a narrative perspective for the purpose of people believing in Jesus, then 1 John was written for the believer. Like it was a letter written by John to multiple different churches to be passed around to make sure that they were on the right track. And so in many ways, what we're doing with our DNA series, we're making sure that we're on the right track. We're making sure our DNA and core values and vision are very clear and understood because uh, if New City Church exists to see Jesus change lives and reach the world, which is our vision statement, that we need to make sure we're heading in the right direction. We need to make sure we're all on the same page with a unified vision and unified understanding of how we're going to get there. You know, if we want to see families from all over the Tampa Bay area come to Christ and become unified and see marriages restore, then it's going to take a unified people to see this happen. If we're going to do whatever it takes to reach the 50,000 college students at USF and see students who are searching for hope and direction and full life come to Jesus and to then put them on a path to live with purpose and direction in the mission of God for the rest of their life, and if we're going to see churches planted and missionaries sent all over the world to people in places who have never heard the name of Jesus, you know, it's going to take a unified people being on the same page. If we're going to do whatever we can to reach the uh, 18,000 high school students just within 10 miles of where we are and also kind of beyond that, and, and all the retirees and empty nesters and young professionals that live all around us, New City Church, it's going to take a unified people. You know, we, uh, we want to see story after story after story of just total life transformation simply just by the power of God working through us. And, you know, we've got a really big vision that will keep us occupied for a lifetime. Like there are literally billions of people all over the planet and millions here in the Tampa Bay area that don't know Jesus. And so we've got a lot of work ahead of us. But we, and so we need to ask the question, how are we going to see all of this happen? Like, how are we going to see life transformation? And how are we going to see uh, the world reached with the gospel? And that's where our core values come to play. Because if our vision is where we're going, then our core values are how we're going to get there. Our core values are the vehicle that we believe we need to be in in order to see this happen. Uh, while totally dependent on God and His Spirit uh, to do it. Like we have a vision and a direction of where we're going. We have, a, uh, we have a way we believe we can see this happen. But at the end of the day, we labor knowing that God makes it happen. And because of that, New City, we beg and we pray and we are totally dependent uh, and desperate and depending and we are a praying people. Like if we know the vision and the core values are the vehicle to get us there, then prayer and the spirit of God and the word of God are the fuel that move that vehicle. Like we have a direction, like if we have a direction in a car, but if you don't have any gas, 
guess what? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> and so what do we do? We pray and we pray and we pray. We try to pray every time we gather, multiple times, but four times a year, we come together for a night of prayer and worship, and we sing, and we worship, and we pray for the hand of God to move. And next weekend, we have another one of these nights that you absolutely do not want to miss. These are, these are, at, a, are like at its core, essential to the life of our church. Like, I kid you not, almost every single one of these nights, we have prayed and begged God. In many ways, God has answered many of our prayers. Like I can look back on each of these nights and see how God has answered our prayers time after time. And we do believe that God will continue to do so. So yes, we have our vision. We have our core values that we hold to. But at the end of the day, we are totally aware that God has to be the one to move the vehicle. And so we pray. But we also know that we can't just sit idly and do nothing. Because yes, a praying and a dependent people will also be a laboring people because we know that God has entrusted his mission to his people. And so again, our three core values that we believe will be the vehicle to see the vision take place are authentic relationships, intentional discipleship, and missional urgency. Last week, we talked about authentic relationships, seeing how God has made it clear that we all need real authentic relationships in our life. Like God's means for life change is the word of God, the spirit of God, all done through the people of God. And so if we want to see true life transformation, we need a whole village around us that love us and will fight for us in all of our mess. And as we saw last week, authentic relationships don't run from the mess. They see the mess and sin and filth and run headfirst into it. And they say, hey, I'm here. Like, I'm here in all your mess. We're in this together. But that was last week. You can go online if you, and listen to that if you missed it. But this week, we're talking about intentional discipleship leading us to our main idea. Intentional discipleship is essential to the Christian life. And just to give you a roadmap of our time, you know, I'm going to be speaking more generically for about 10 minutes uh, on discipleship. In the last 20 minutes of our time, I'm going to do a flyover of 1 John like we did last week and let 1 John guide us to see several quick thoughts on intentional discipleship. And by no means is this a comprehensive uh, guide to discipleship, but rather it's just kind of a, a place to start uh, in our discipleship conversation. Again, like I said last week, our core values are nothing earth shattering. Like we just believe that these are part of the normal Christian life. And when it comes to intentional discipleship, the last thing that Jesus said before he left this earth was in Matthew 28. Like it was a command for his disciples to go and make disciples. Look what it says. These are Jesus' last words, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those were Jesus' final instructions to his people. He commanded them to make disciples, which means this is not optional. Like Jesus did not command his people to go and see a lot of people converted and then move on to the next. No, he commanded them to go into all the earth and make disciples. So Jesus' global strategy for reaching the world with the good news of the gospel, it was and it still is discipleship. Like intentional discipleship, this is not a new city church thing. This is a following Jesus thing. In fact, one of the things that I found really interesting as we kind of went through the Gospel of John was that Jesus' influence as he went throughout his life, it actually grew smaller and not bigger. So Jesus started out with the masses, and the closer he got to the cross, the more time he spent with less people, not more people. 
And so get this, Jesus' plan to infiltrate the world with the gospel was not to entrust it to every person he could tell, but rather he entrusted his mission to a few faithful people that he spent a ton of time with and taught and modeled his life, showing what it looks like to walk in obedience to the Lord, which is what we hope to see done here at New City. Like the more connected you get to our church, the smaller we want your circle to become. Like, so we believe that if we grow smaller and intentionally invest deeper into a few, that we will actually reach far more people with the gospel than if we were a mile wide and an inch deep. Now, I will say this strategy is much slower and it doesn't immediately equate to big crowds, which in our flesh we want to see because it seems to validate. But again, Jesus had a better way. Jesus's plan was to invest in the few in order to reach the masses. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it because uh, it's multiplication, not addition. I know there's so much more we could say about discipleship, and we will say more using 1 John. But before we dive into 1 John, I just want to stop and acknowledge that discipleship is one of those Bible words that maybe you've never heard before and you have no clue what I'm talking about. And that's totally fine because today we're going to talk about it. Or maybe you've heard discipleship used often, and you agree that yes, it is important. Um, But what I have noticed over the past 20 years of being a Christian is that it is also one of those terms that two people can be talking about the same thing and have two totally different things in mind. And to give a really simple definition of discipleship, uh, we all want to be on the same uh, page. And I'll say this, discipleship is teaching others to follow Jesus. That's simple. Teaching others to follow Jesus. Jesus said multiple times throughout the Gospels, he said to his disciples, follow me. And his 12 disciples followed Jesus wherever he went, and they learned from him. And I know that there are so many uh, different ways to define discipleship, but for our purposes today, that's how we're going to define it. It's teaching others to follow Jesus. And even if we've never heard of discipleship, that phrase, that word, I think we can still kind of understand the concept of it. Because we see it done in so many different ways, like in work or in sports or school or in so many other areas. Again, teaching others in work is often what we call apprenticeships or or, or internships. Like we shadow people at work, we're taught material, we learn, we watch, we ask questions, and they watch us and provide feedback. And so maybe we could say being a disciple of Jesus is like being a lifelong intern to Jesus. And our job as followers of Jesus is teaching others to be lifelong interns, to teach people how to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. And I think we get this just like I said through our work experiences. And y'all have had so many random jobs over the years. Like I've learned how to wash cars and pack moving trucks. I've learned how to install signs and graphics and just had a silly amount of random knowledge on building hardware and tools and all sorts of fasteners. And I can kind of go back to each job and see how I've learned different skills in multiple different ways. Like I've learned a ton through uh, in-person classes and books and online classes. I've also uh, learned a lot just by being around people and observing them and them observing me. For example, when I was in college, I I got an internship at the end of college at a large chain hardware store called Fastenal. Like they had a great training program uh, and they really developed college graduates to kind of step out into the business world. And I had a kind of a bare bones knowledge of the construction world. Um, Like I knew the basics, but I was no Tim the Tool Man, okay? But for the first day on the job, my boss gets on the phone. He looks at me and says, hey, uh, there's this guy on the phone looking for a bolt stretcher. (laughs) Can you try to find it for him? And I look at him like, what, what, is, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't know what it was, but I was determined to figure this out. 
And then he hangs up and says, yeah, uh, I'll have my guy call him when he finds it. And for the next hour, I am looking high and low all over the store for this bolt stretcher, like all over the website. I mean, I literally, I mean, they have like millions of items all over their website. And I kept telling him, hey, I can't find this thing. And he was telling me, hey, just like, here's a few different ways of how you can find things. And I would search and search. And finally, after an hour, he said, hey, Eric, there, there's actually no such thing as a bolt stretcher. Um, I was just messing with you. And then he said, I just do that to teach people how to find things. And also because construction workers try to do that to our employees to see if you actually know what you're talking about. Now, was it hazing and a little mean? Yes. But you know what? I did learn how to find things. And every time I went to a construction site during my training, I was spared from, spared from looking like a fool. Now, yes, I could have learned this just by him telling me, which would have been the nice thing to do. But I also learned through the experience, which is often the best classroom. Like books and classes are great, but there's nothing quite the same as good old hands-on experience, which is similar to discipleship. And so when we say discipleship is teaching others to follow Jesus, the end goal is to be more like Jesus and to be a better follower of Jesus, meaning he is leading us and we are following his ways. And when we disciple others, we're teaching others to follow Jesus. Like we're teaching people how to engage the Bible and how to pray and modeling obedience. But what we often think of when we think of discipleship is sitting down in a coffee shop with one person and they teach us the Bible which this absolutely is essential. And we do this. This is a part of discipleship, but it is incomplete. Unfortunately, discipleship has been deduced in many ways, just a simple Bible study, which is again, also really good. And we're all for that. And we do that, but it is incomplete. And so one of the more common ways I try to explain uh, discipleship is to say discipleship is teaching the word and also modeling the word, teaching the word and modeling the word. The word of God must be present in discipleship. If we're not using the word, we're discipling others towards man-centered wisdom and not towards following Jesus. Like we must teach the word and also model the word. We have to explain the Bible and live out the Bible and so others can see what it looks like. We're gonna talk about this in a few minutes. But what I wanna emphasize right now is that all of our core values are interconnected. Like intentional discipleship must also involve authentic relationships. Like we can't truly disciple people if we don't know people. Yes, we can teach the Bible without knowing people, but as we saw last week, relationships are essential to life change. I can say it this way, discipleship void of real relationship is incomplete discipleship. And you know what that means? It means we need to be connected to the church body. It means we need to have meals together and laugh together and have fun together and be open and honest with each other and be accessible to each other. Like the more present we are with one another, more, the more we begin to be like one another. And get this, there's no denying this. The closer uh, we get with people, the closest, like those that we're closest with, we will inevitably be, begin to be like them. Like this is both awesome and also really dangerous all at the same time. Like there is something special about a person spending time with other people and pouring their life out to them so that that person can become more like Jesus. And so we, as, as we seek to be more like Jesus. And so again, we model the word and teach the word. And there's so many more generic things like this that we could say about discipleship. But at the end of the day, in order to see God's global vision accomplished, discipleship is the vehicle that God has ordained to get there. And there is no option, no, no other option. And so this is what we're gonna do for the rest of our time. 
Just like last week, we're going to do a flyover of 1 John. And as we see things and teach, that teach and instruct about discipleship, we're just going to stop and point them out. And so for the last kind of 20 minutes or so of our time, we're going to have eight quick thoughts, okay, not quick thoughts on discipleship. Don't be overwhelmed by that. And y'all, we could have way more, but eight seems like plenty for today. And so these, again, these will be fairly quick. So um, let's dive into 1 John. Look, starting in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We read this last week also. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're jumping straight into the deep end here. Like we're not going to spend a lot of time on this first one because we talked about this in depth last week. But we see in verse 6 and 7 the importance of walking in the light. The importance of being known and being open and honest and vulnerable. Like if living in the dark looks like hiding things from other people, then we know that walking in the light is living known and following the ways of Jesus. Like it's letting others into our life, which leads us to our first point. Number one, intentional discipleship models confession and repentance. Again, there's so much to say here about the gift of confession and turning away from our sin and turning towards God. But the two things that I want to emphasize is the phrase intentional discipleship and the word model that we've been using here. But as it relates to confessing our sin and turning back towards God and his ways. And I want to point out just intentional now because this, this will be in every point. Like discipleship, it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it, to make an effort, to make somewhat of a plan. So here at New City, we have a structure and questions in place for our small discipleship groups of three to five people and also our city groups so we can have a structure and a direction. And the difference between being known through an everyday relationship and a discipleship relationship is the clear and intended path forward. So in discipleship, uh, the goal is to help others better better follow Jesus. And this happens in both structured settings and also in informal settings. But the idea is the intention behind it. And the reason I added the word model to this first point is because if we want to be a church that lives in the light and regularly confesses and practices the gift of repentance, we need to realize that that won't just happen haphazardly. Like it needs to be modeled by others around us. You know, so one of the best things we can do in discipleship, whether with those in our discipleship groups, with our families, those we're leading, is to confess our sin. Like when we open up and are vulnerable, it makes it easier for others around us to do the same. Like early on in ministry, in college and also out of college, it was, it was always so encouraging and refreshing uh, for me to hear how other people uh, struggled and just to hear them confess uh, and, to get, and to get to celebrate victory with them. Like it helped me feel like I wasn't some crazy unicorn that struggled and sinned. And them leading in confession, it led me to personally see the gift of confession. Again, when we disciple others, we must model this to others. But let's keep moving. Look back at verse 7 again. See our next point. John said, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So New City, get this. When we model confession and discipleship, it empowers others to confess, which we saw last week is how God changes people. And then when people begin to open up and share, you know what the best part of this is? We get to then model the gift of it. 
and show grace and kindness and gentleness and not just heap on shame. And we get to remind others of the good news of the gospel, that we're free and forgiven because of the cross and that they are clean and pure. I mean, how awesome is this? Like, y'all, confessing sin can be so hard because we're wrestling with, with shame because the enemy hates it when we confess because he doesn't want us to, he doesn't want to see us change. The enemy wants us to stay in the dark, but guess what? When others confess their sin, we live in the light, open and known. And so one of the greatest privileges we have for those who so bravely confess and share is to remind them of the gospel, showing us number two, intentional discipleship models the grace of Jesus. Like in verse seven, we see Jesus's grace displayed by the mere fact that his death on the cross makes guilty sinners totally clean and free. And when we disciple people, we get to regularly remind people and point people to our good news. Yes, we can grieve the sin and hate it while also pouring out the love of Jesus to others. We have been entrusted with this incredible gift of empowering people with the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And guess what? Jesus' forgiveness, it never stops. And so when people confess and confess and confess and it seems like nothing is changing, we get to day in and day out remind ourselves that it is not up to me, it is up to Jesus. Now, sometimes it can seem like grace runs out, but guess what? Jesus who lives in us, his grace, it never stops. It never runs out. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to model this to others. But let's keep moving. Look at next at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, uh, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So how do we know if we truly know Jesus? Well, verse 6 tells us we obey his commands. And so those who follow Jesus should be growing in their obedience. It doesn't mean perfect, but it does mean we're growing year after year. And y'all, this idea of following the Lord and keeping his commands, this is all over 1 John. And we think about discipleship specifically. Others need to know the commands of Jesus and see them just practically lived out. Again, discipleship is teaching the word and modeling the word, leading us to number three. Intentional discipleship teaches and models obedience to Jesus. Like it's one thing to know that the scriptures call us to love our wives the way Christ loved the church, but it's an entirely different thing to see it lived out and modeled. Like it's one thing to live out the command to not fear, but it's an entirely different thing to see others live it. And you know how people see it lived out? By spending time with people. You know, this can't happen in a classroom or a coffee shop. This happens in everyday life. This happens in the hallways and sidelines of life, at, at the ball field and the pickup line, doing activities together, calling someone and saying, hey, can I just cry for a second? Like, and just share my heart. Like as a brand new Christian, again, 20 years ago, do you know what got me into just reading my Bible every day? Like I had heard many people talk about it, but it was actually just seeing and observing my older sister as a senior in high school, doing it every day and just loving it and talking about it and hearing, uh, hearing her talk about it in her everyday life, simply just seeing her do this moved me to do it. Again, see, these ideas are all over First John. Let's look at the very next verse in chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you, writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. 
The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So we see that John isn't writing anything new, but rather he's pointing them to the word. Again, uh, we, don't, uh, we, we don't give our wisdom or philosophies in discipleship. No, the word of God is our God. Showing us, number four, intentional discipleship teaches and points to the word. So discipleship void of the word of God is not true discipleship. Again, the word is essential to the entire process. It is so important, which is why every week I spend so much time to prepare a 40-minute sermon teaching the word because God's word is clear. We need the word. We need to be taught the word. Like in our city groups throughout the week, we dive into the word of God and teach it and give opportunities to, uh, for people to ask questions and discuss the word. In our discipleship groups of three to five people that happen within our city groups, we also, like, we also, every other week, we break into small groups and get into the Word. And part of the hope for this time is that we're teaching, the, as we're teaching the Word, we're also uh, helping others, like how to read and study and also teach the Word. And just like my general rule of thumb that I've tried to adopt is to try really hard to avoid saying, like, this is what I think, but rather let's just see what the Word says. Like if we try giving our own opinions and philosophies and not point to the word, we're not discipling people to follow Jesus. No, we're discipling people with our own opinions. Again, when the word is void, true discipleship, it cannot happen. Look next at verse, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Again, we read this last week and saw how we're called to love and forgiveness. And it's all over, this is all over 1 John. But when discipleship happens, this is modeled. Seeing number five, intentional discipleship models love and forgiveness. So verse 9 says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Verse, verse 10 contrasts this with saying whoever loves his brother abides or remains in the light. And just like the others, this seems it's like it's all over 1 John, seeing that those who are in Christ must love those who are easy to love and also hard to love. Like hate or ill will within the body of Christ, this is not from God. And so get this, what this means in discipleship is that when others around us see us love people that are hard to love and extend forgiveness, we're discipling people around us. You know, it doesn't take like a PhD or a seminary degree or a lifelong follower of Christ to offer forgiveness and love to those who are hard to love. It only takes a person yielded to the Spirit of God to offer forgiveness and love to others. And yes, it's good for us in our own hearts to forgive and love, but what I want us to get is it is also good in other, for others around us to see it. Like when I personally see brothers and sisters in Christ forgiving one another, y'all, I'm so encouraged. Like it spurs me on to forgive. When I see people sacrifice and love and extend when it's really hard, it personally encourages me and challenges me to do the same for others. Like it's one thing to uh, able to teach and explain grace and forgiveness, but it's an entirely different thing to extend it and give it and show it to others. We don't just teach it, but live it. We're discipling others around us. Let's keep going. Look at 1 John 2, 12 to 14. John writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 
So much to point out here, but the one thing I want to emphasize is that John is writing to every generation. Fathers, young men, children, and encouraging every generation. You know, last week, uh, last year, we went through Titus, and we saw uh, the same thing where older women disciple younger women and older men disciple younger men. And so John is teaching and encouraging every generation about sin and forgiveness and Jesus and the Word and so much more. Leading us to number six, intentional discipleship is multi-generational. You know, we as a church believe so strongly that every person of every age and stage of life is vitally important to the body of Christ. Like our elementary school kids need our middle school kids. Our high school and middle school students need to see our college students and young professionals love and follow Jesus. Like our college students need to see our young professionals pursue Jesus with passion and purpose after college. We all need to see people who've been following Jesus for 30, 40, and 50 years, like who have also just experienced the life stage ahead of us. Like that's a gift. Yo, we truly believe that every life stage and every generation is vitally important to the body of Christ, which is why our city groups are multi-generational. Like I say often that one of the best things that happened to me when I was in college and also out of college was being mentored by a man who was 35 years older than me, like twice a month. We'd get up early on a Saturday morning and bike about 25 miles and then he'd ask me a few simple questions. He'd say, how's your relationship with the Lord? Are you loving your wife? Like, are you loving her and serving her? And you'd ask a couple other questions along the way. He had been married for 35 years. I had been married for one. You know, the younger generation needs the older generation. Our younger generation needs to learn discipline and endurance and what it means to be steadfast and see what it looks like to endure hardship from the older generation. And you know what encourages the older generation? to see younger people who are zealous for the mission of God and eager to learn and grow with their whole life ahead of them and to pursue the kingdom of God. New City, we will pray and pray and pray for our church to continue to grow just in the average age of our church, to continue to pray for more families and retirees and empty nesters just to love on all of our young people. Like if you look around and think, I, I'm in the older generation here, I, and a really easy thing to do to encourage our people is to see someone younger than you and just ask, hey, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them and just truly pray for them. And then next week, hey, I've been praying for you. How's that going? Like you have no idea how encouraging this could be to a college student or a young professional or a young mom or dad that needs direction and guidance. Or on the other side, like if you see someone older than you, don't be afraid to say, hey, I can learn a lot from you. I would love to just hear about your life. Can I just sit down and hear how God has just worked in your life over the years? You know where the easiest, the best place for this to happen? It's in our city groups throughout the week and on our serve teams on Sunday, just to get to know people and, and cross paths with people. Like if we want to see life transformation, we all, need, uh, we all need all generations involved in discipleship. But let's keep moving. Look at what John writes next in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So no surprise, there's much here that we could touch on. But what John is emphasizing is the danger of loving the world. The danger of loving the world more than loving God. And so the regular continued theme throughout the entire New Testament is that we were not created for this world, but we were created for eternity with God. 
Paul in the book of Philippians talks about having a, a heavenly focus, an eternal focus, and John is doing the same here. In verse 17 and 18, he's preparing them that this world will one day vanish and pass away. And the things of this world, they will not last. The end is near. And we think about discipleship, this, this must be a major aspect of it, reminding one another the world, this world is not our home. Seeing number seven, intentional discipleship models an eternal focus. You know, it's so easy for each of us to get caught up in what this world has to offer. Making our careers and stuff and entertainment and hobbies our greatest ambitions. Like it's so easy to get sidetracked and begin to believe that our grades and our paycheck and our career advancement is the most important thing in this life. And everything in the Bible points us to think differently. Those are all gifts, but we have to think differently with an eternal focus. John urges these churches to look up to Jesus uh, and not be focused on the world. Because in the end, when all is said and done, our time on this earth in the grand scheme of eternity uh, was but a small speck in the span of eternity. And when we disciple others, we're calling one another to not look at the world, but look at eternity, which means we have hard and honest conversations that lovingly steer our eyes and attention to God's grand rescue mission. Because at the end of the day, as we said at the beginning, if our vision is to see lives changed and to reach the world, to see churches planted and missionaries mobilized and orphans adopted and the poor cared for and widows loved and the single moms helped and refugees assist, uh, assisted and to see so much more, it's going to take a ton of sacrifice in the hearts and lives of our people to do things that are just a tad crazy to the world. Like moving your family or half, halfway around the world to an unreached people group. Like it's going to take sacrificing comfort and stability and ease of life to do really hard things for the kingdom. If we're going to see marriages restored and prostitutes become prayer warriors and the apathetic become zealous and convicts become church planners and drug addicts become disciple makers, the only way this happens is if we disciple each and every person to have an eternal and heavenly mindset and not an earthly one. Because an earthly mindset will keep us comfortable and a heavenly one will move us to sacrifice in light of eternity. But again, these things won't just happen. We must be intentional to gaze our eyes and the eyes of others towards eternity. Oh, there's so much more we could say here, but let's look at our last few verses in chapter two to get to our last point and kind of land the plane. So he continues with this eternal perspective. Look at uh, 1 John 2, 24. That's what you have heard from the beginning, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and, the etern- and, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And look at 26 and 27. I write these things to you about these who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. So John says uh, he writes these things. Because he knows that deception is always on the horizon. Like lies and false teaching and error are always kind of just around the corner. You know, we can so easily believe lies about ourselves or or false teachings about the word. And I'm saying this, I've been saying this a lot this year. Y'all, New City, the, the devil, he is a liar. This is just what he does. He whispers lies. And so we as a church must be on the lookout for one another where we see lies and deceptions being believed. But as we just read, we don't just point out the lie, but we also point out what is true. As we saw in verse 27, 
Leading us to our final thought. Number eight, intentional discipleship points out deception and points to Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, we must be in the word. Knowing, know the word and know the truths of Jesus in order to point out lies and deceptions. Again, the word is so important. We must teach it. But just as much as we teach what is right, we must also rid out what is not right. In New City, these lies and deceptions, that so, they so easily creep into our brains. And one of the greatest wars happening in our day is the spiritual war going inside of our minds. And we need brothers and sisters around us to look and out for us and call out lies and speak what is true. Like this is part of discipleship. It's a constant correcting and recorrecting. Like if I have learned anything about following Jesus, it is I am that we are a forgetful people. Like we just so easily forget the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. We have to daily remember and re-remember the gospel. Like we get what I call like, uh, what people often call gospel amnesia, where we just forget and lose sight and the, uh, that we're forgiven and loved and chosen children of God. Like we get so easily misdirected. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is our goal and aim to week in and week out teach what is true so that we may know what is not. Like each week, we need to remember the gospel that God has done everything necessary to save us and that he has loved, he loves us more than we would ever know and he has forgiven us more than we could ever realize. But yet in all of this, in all of our sin, he still looks at us and says, like, I know you've messed up, but guess what? You're still mine. <laughs> I still hold you. He says to us, I'm still working on you. He says to us, I'm still pleased with you. And I know the danger of having like these eight things to think about in discipleship. This can really easily be overwhelming and remind us yet again how we fall short. But guess what? The gospel reminds us, you're right, we can't do this, but Jesus can and will do this in time through us. Just in discipleship, to sum all of this up, we can simply say, just look to Jesus. That's what we do in discipleship. We point people to Jesus, follow Jesus, say, follow him, look to him, keep going back to him, and be able to say, hey, guess what? I don't know all the answers, but he does. I'm limited, but he's not. This is the beauty of discipleship. Like God delights in using us and he does use us, but he really doesn't need us. But you know what? He uses us anyways, because that's his plan to reach the world. And by no means are we perfect in discipleship here. We have a long way to go, church. But I know one thing for sure. As a church, we are committed to it because Jesus commands it and he has ordained it as his means to see lives changed and to reach the world. Church, this is a gift. Discipleship is a gift. And what a gift uh, for us to simply just be a part of the purposes of God in discipleship. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. We don't know what we're doing half the time, but you do. God, you continually just say, just come to me. Just rest. Just sit at my feet. Let me wash you with the word. God, we pray that we would be a people that just regularly guide our hearts and our minds and our attention towards Jesus. That we would uh, disciple people all around us, the young, discipling the old. God, that we would just uh, all be one another, discipling one another. We are so desperate for you. We're so thankful for your word and how it instructs us and teaches us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.